What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Relinda Speaks podcast. We're back with a brand new episode. Today's episode is part two of my conversation with Gari Kuwadakar, who is a dancer, choreographer, and cultural commentator for the South Asian Indian American community. And we got into a great conversation last week about the nuances of identity and how do we hold the space to chart our own course and we get into conversation about marriage about what does it mean to be a modern woman and so part two really get into a deeper conversation take a listen So let's talk about colorism. I spoke about this on the last episode of the podcast and colorism as this pervasive issue for communities of color. And I've had my own experiences as a dark-skinned Black woman and the perceptions and the tropes and the stereotypes that come with that and how that has been a source of the racism um, and discrimination that I experience along with colorism. So I wanted to get your perspective, Gari, on colorism and how does it show up in the Indian community? Yeah, so colorism. Um, This is a great question. Yes, uh, it is uh, a big issue, uh, a big issue in the Indian community. And it does exist almost around the world as I've taken in over the last multiple years that I have been talking about the issue and identifying the issue. I do think around the world it stems from this idea of European beauty and European beauty standards. So what I mean by that is lighter skin, uh, light hair, straight hair, uh, light eyes, um, small noses. And, and I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? We're, we're scratching the surface here about what European beauty standards are. So I've seen you know, my friends experience those issues here where workplaces call, you know, force you to straighten your hair. When that's the way it grows out of your scalp and it's beautiful just because it's not what we have over time identified as, you know, quote, beauty. That doesn't mean that we have to subscribe to one particular type of beauty and stick to it. We, there are so many types of beauty and I think that's what this country has been kind of owning up to as time has gone on and done, I think, a a great job. I I do think we have bigger strides to make in this country, but I I do think we've made a, we've we've done a great job with influencers and people, celebrities really driving that forward. And of course, like people like you in in, in important places driving that forward. So colorism in, in, in particular is kind of a subset of this issue of European beauty standards. In India, Uh, I remember growing up and relatives telling me, first of all, my mother is a very light-skinned Indian. She has green eyes. She's very, very light-skinned. My father, on the other hand, is a bit darker-skinned and does look more South Asian. So... Of course, as I, and I have some kind of a mixed you know, skin color in between, and I, I think I, I, I'm more similar to my father's skin tone. So growing up, I mean, you know, relatives, I would hear it, you know, oh, your mother is so light-skinned, you didn't get her light skin, you didn't get her eyes. Uh, how nice that it would, would have been if you got her eyes and her, and her light skin tone. Or if I would go out in the sun, I loved swimming. Uh, I would go out in the sun and I would swim for hours on end during the summer, and I would hear, oh my gosh, you know, you're getting dark. You're getting so dark. 
from my grandparents. You're, you're, you know, don't go out in the sun. You're getting so dark, all of this stuff. I mean, this was normal, you know, growing up and hearing this. I think that, and I obviously in, you know, in, in pop culture and in Indian pop culture, and even in family friend groups, it was always conversations. Well, how do I get her, you know, knees to lighten? How do I get her face to lighten? Uh, there was talk about turmeric paste because turmeric is supposed to lighten your skin. So there was talk about, you know, making these turmeric masks for their children, children, you know, young girls. Imagine the kind of impact that has on your psyche at that age and, you know, slathering them in turmeric and hoping, you know, praying that their skin gets lighter because that's what's acceptable. Who's going to marry them if, if they're not light skinned? Who's going to think my, my child is pretty if they're not light-skinned? And this was common, so common that I didn't question it growing up. It was just a way of thought. Luckily, I had a mom who admired my skin tone, who told me she wished she had that skin tone. She thought it was beautiful. She thought my darker skin was beautiful. She thought my eye color, my brown eyes were beautiful. She said, I always wanted brown eyes. So I lucked out because... I had a mom who built me up despite the fact that I may not have had the conventional or what is the beauty standard in India. You know, I didn't have that. Um, That may not have been the same for a lot of my friends. And I actually rank a little bit like rank is the wrong word, Uh, but I kind of exist a little bit on the lighter side of the spectrum um, than the darker So I didn't know that because I had been told so many times that I was dark skinned, um, which again, my mother had made me love. So I went to college and I loved, you know, my skin tone. And I kind of was enlightened in college because so many people said, no, you don't know what it's like to have dark skin because you are a lighter skinned person. And that hit me and that struck me because I think I was misjudging what it felt like to really have a dark skin tone in a society that values lighter skin. So in my family, I was the dark skinned one, but as in the community at large, I I didn't go through those struggles that, you know, some of my friends went through. I heard it all the time. I can't wear that color. I'm too dark. That color works for you. You know, that lipstick color works for you, but it won't work for me because I'm dark. And while I'm a huge fan of, you know, wearing and, and putting makeup on that suits you in every which way, your skin tone, your features, everything. I'm a big fan of that. Nothing wrong with that. I did think that those kind of statements came from a place of feeling like they were not worthy of that or their parents had told them you shouldn't do that because that won't look good on you. It's not always the case. Um, so I think that's where I started really identifying that, wow, this is a big issue. I have seen old grandparents and in Indian culture, we're always taught to respect our elders. That's another thing I've kind of started to, you know, really tread lightly on and throw out the window because sometimes the elderly people are the ones who are really pushing this, this negativity and this kind of colorism and this kind of discrimination. I've heard so many grandparents say to their grandchildren and to other grandchildren comments about their skin tone, you should lighten your skin. All of these things have been said by by elders. And so I don't think that that's, I think that should be spoken out against. I've been very vocal when it's come to that and I've been, you know, chastised for it. I've been scolded for it. But it is something that I think we need to stand up to the older generations because they don't know what kind of damage they cause. 
And a lot of times it's people who have gone through that pain on their own. And so they just tend to be more likely to pass that pain on. But we need to check them as much as we can. Great. Thank you for that honest, honest um, answer there and how there's so much work to be done with communities of color with respect to colorism. But I'd also add a lot of work to do for white people. Um, and thinking about how colorism shows up in their decision-making into their perceptions and their realities and what they make of that experience. And so I think about that in relationship to um, Senator Kamala Harris, who is now our VP uh, pick for uh, our upcoming election and how Um, There's this interesting duality of conversation regarding one, is she black enough because this idea of you have to be proximate in skin color, but at the same time recognizing that she had to be palatable for a white majority through colorism. Um, And so just the, the navigation of those spaces is quite interesting. And so one of the things I wanted to ask you about is I'm thinking about this current moment of racial reckoning, the the second pandemic that we're in, racism. And what does this mean for the South Asian community? Hassan Minaj speaks a lot about how anti-Blackness shows up in the South Asian community, but particularly his focus is on perhaps the Indian American experience um, with respect to anti-Blackness. And I wanted to get your perspective because I felt like he really gave this honest assessment of what that looked like and how that shows up. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on what what's your perception on all this and and what does that mean for this reckoning of racial injustice that gets us to a place of racial justice and liberation. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I love Hassan Minaj. First of all, I think he's brilliant. He's right. Anti-blackness does show up in South Asian communities, and I have seen it. I've lived it. I've argued against it. Um, I, I'm not so sure. I fully understand where it's rooted. What I can say is I do think that this harkens back to the European beauty standards and, and, you know, whatever we consider superficial or external beauty sometimes does lead us to believe certain things about a person's qualities. I know Indians in particular feed in to this mentality of, you know, a black culture that they do not think is a good culture. And it's interesting to me because I've gotten into so many arguments about this. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know where the knowledge comes from or where they think, you know, they're getting this this information from. But I've heard it so many times. And again, this links this links everything together. You know, this links that colorism, this links the caste system, this um, this links um, issues about um, elite elitism, it, it brings all of it kind of to into one big problem, which is that Indians are, for the most part, the culture is anti-black. That's a big statement to make, but it is. And I don't mean to say that all of my fellow Indians are racist. That's not what I mean. 
I do think it exists more than people like to talk about. And it is our, I know when, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement regained its momentum this year, I saw a lot of young people my age saying that they are responsible to have these conversations with their families and their parents and combat this racist racism issue within their own households. And unless people our age take responsibility for it and say that we have to spearhead this conversation and convince our family members that this is not the right way to think, that you have to identify and you have to acknowledge the black contribution, which to be very honest, I think has been so, and forgive this word, but it's been almost mutilated because of what, you know, white supremacy has done. They, they pick and choose parts of cultures that they want and they, they make them part of white culture and somehow that becomes acceptable, you know? And that's how I identify cultural appropriation too. I think a lot of people have a very light definition of what cultural appropriation is. For me, it's a very big issue and it's a deep issue. It's when you take parts of somebody else's culture that they have been discriminated, uh, discriminated for and put it into your culture and now you're going to make it a mainstream thing because your skin color is something that for some reason is you know, lauded by the, by the entire world. So I think it all links together. I think these conversations need to happen in South Asian communities. Um, And I can only imagine that this kind of belief system stems from what they've seen happen in the United States um, and what they've seen happen in Britain, perhaps, over the hundreds of years they were, you know, in our country. Past that, it's hard for me to to figure where that kind of thought process comes from. But it is something that is is completely confusing to me and, and disheartening to me. But I do think it's, it's something we need to continue battling. And I think we need to really come to face-to-face with our role and what role we as South Asians play in the movement toward anti-racism and hold our family members and generations you know, before us to those same standards. Even children these days, my age and younger than me, they're still appropriating black culture. They're still using you know, the N-word. I still hear it. And I'm, I don't think they're bad people. Of course I don't. But I do, I think they're misguided. And do I think that they don't realize what kind of contribution they're making to um, racism? by using these words and, and acting this way, I don't think they realize it. And I think it's our, our responsibility, the people who do f- see it and who do recognize it and who have had that experience to recognize it. It's our job to educate, not to sound patronizing at all, but to educate whatever we know and whatever small contribution we can make. We need to do that within our families. And this white supremacy ideal doesn't only exist in America, it does, and I can speak for my own culture, it 100% exists in India. And I believe that that is what leads to the racism that uh, Indian people may exhibit sometimes. And it, it, it also leads to colorism within the country itself. Um, 
And I think we really need to grapple with it and come to come to a point where we can't tolerate it anymore as millennials, I think. And as, as generation Z, we need to, we need to move, move and then progress and, and grow and hold our parents and our grandparents to that same standard. Yeah, that's really interesting, Gari. So I want to dig a little bit deeper about what you're saying and think about this in the context of Bollywood dance and Bollywood movies and that whole, you know, Hollywood uh, juxtaposed in India known as Bollywood, which is really this cultural phenomenon. And for so many of us that aren't Indian, we associate Indian culture and identity with Bollywood. And so I wanted to ask you, do you feel that Bollywood is a fair depiction of Indian culture and identity? Or is it uh, what Hollywood is uh, for so many of us here is that they are sensationalized stories that aren't necessarily representative of an entire community of people? Um, What are your thoughts? Yeah, so... Bollywood um, is a very interesting topic because I absolutely love Bollywood. Uh, I've loved it since I have been a child. Any shows that happen, any I learned Hindi, you know, from watching so many Bollywood movies. But as time has gone on, and especially this year, I think I've really begun to identify some of the major, major problems and and issues that Bollywood presents. They and and the article you're talking about. I did post an article and it was a, about a celebrity. Her name is Kangana Ranaut. She has been extremely outspoken ever since she's become successful in Bollywood and she does not come from a film family, which the majority of Bollywood comes from film families. Um but she does not come from a film family. And so I think she had a different kind of perspective when it came to Bollywood and what it all means. And so she's been very outspoken about multiple things in the industry. She said once in an interview, and I, and I caught on to it, and I became a fan of hers, and I wanted to follow her journey because she said that she will never endorse fairness products or fairness creams. So what a fairness cream is, is in India, there's something called fair and lovely. There's also a fair and handsome for uh, men. So over the years, this has been a common product. I mean, this has been, this is a huge company, Fair and Lovely. They do extremely well. It is a household name in India. So much so that celebrities endorse it all the time. It's kind of like a rite of passage. If you're a celebrity, you will at some point endorse Fair and Lovely. And the product is a skin lightening product. It's a skin bleaching product. And It has been marketed as such. It's not even like they've been subtle about it. It has been marketed as you want to be prettier, you want to be lighter. I mean, some of these commercials, if you look them up, they literally show this person going from a darker shade skin tone to a lighter shade skin tone over time. And then that's the marketing. That's what you want to look like. Uh, So the article was about her calling out celebrities who have endorsed those products, who also... This year, a time of racial reckoning for America, have talked about Black Lives Matter. And so she called them out. She names people. She has no issues with naming people. And she said, if you can endorse a product that encourages and makes light, no pun intended, of colorism, 
then how can you in the same breath defend or, or, you know, talk about and promote Black Lives Matter and say that that is an important topic to discuss? She calls out that you cannot be that hypocritical. Ultimately, racism is, is, is anchored in color, in the color of your skin. So she's calling out this disparity in these celebrities where they're not fully understanding what kind of problems they're causing in their own society and their own country. And they're going to try to be heroes in another country and say, you know, Black Lives Matter and I support, you know, the movement. But really, you don't because you're not even identifying the the racism that exists in your own country against your own people who are discriminated against because they have darker skin. So I absolutely respect her and, and, and love her for calling it all out. Um, and Bollywood itself, I mean, there's act, there have been uh, darker skinned actresses like Priyanka Chopra, for example, who have in- endorsed Fair and Lovely. They have stood by, they have made commercials, they have talked about it, they have, you know... Uh, tried to sell this product and make money off of it, make, make a lot of money off of it. So it's just disheartening. You look at these people and as I grew up, I mean, I was so disappointed as I grew up, I didn't think anything of it. I saw fair and lovely ads all the time. So I saw my favorite celebrities doing fair and lovely, lovely ads. If you look up every Bollywood celebrity that has done fair and lovely ads, you'll get a whole laundry list of people who have done it, who are top celebrities in our country. And in India, the problem is, is that celebrities are very highly regarded. We do, you know, go, go nuts for our celebrities here. But in India, it's a whole different level of adoration that these celebrities get. People listen to them and they really listen. They follow their every move. They follow their the, the style trends. They follow the hair trends. They follow everything. And they also follow the advice and the movies. They even follow what their favorite actors do in movies. It's a much harder job to be a responsible artist in India than it is here. So on top of that, knowing that, that these people have in, encouraged colorism well knowing full well what they're doing is is very disappointing and it it really makes me look take another look at bollywood and 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 uh criticize it and and admit that this industry that i love so much is 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 extremely problematic in many ways thank you so much gari for being a part of the relinda speaks podcast we'll definitely have you back on for future episodes so much to talk about And again, it really speaks to regardless of how we identify at any given moment, we are negotiating identity, negotiating how we show up in spaces and hopefully by our continued conversations with each other, we can make room for all of the sum and parts of who we are and where we can show up in any space and thrive, not in spite of, but because of who we are. And so before I head out on today's podcast, I want to have the last word. And the last word today is two words, taking inventory. Taking inventory of what's around us, what's shaping our thoughts and perceptions 
and our identity. And oftentimes, when we are in spaces that are homogenous, where there is groupthink, where there is an experience that's solely one narrative, it really shapes our perceptions of others. And as I think about what's happening in the world right now with racial injustice and the call and very much the cry for racial justice and racial liberation, there are two different conversations that are happening right now in our country. And there is a disconnect. And as I keep thinking about this disconnect, I think about it from the context of we are not in spaces where we are side by side with people who are different from us. And look, I'm from L.A., And there's this idea that Los Angeles is diverse. And yes, it's a racially diverse city. However, many of these communities are not converging with one another. They are in pockets and they are isolated from each other in certain instances. And so the idea is, I want you to take inventory. I want you to think about who your neighbors are. I want you to think about who's at your dinner table. I want you to think about who are those trusted sources of inspiration, trusted sources of information, trusted sources of what you perceive is right or wrong. Who are they? What do they look like? What's their lived experience? Is it the same as yours? Or is it different? There's no blame or shame in taking inventory. But if you take inventory and you see that it's a bunch of people that look like you and that have a similar experience as you, perhaps that might be your disconnect of why you're not understanding what's happening in the world right now. Or perhaps it's new information where you're processing and understanding. Taking inventory. And not taking inventory so that you can tokenize and say, I have a black neighbor or I have a a black classmate. I'm saying people that are in your life. People that can hold the mirror up to you people that can challenge your thinking are they in your inner circle because if you have a neighbor but that neighbor is not at your dinner table that neighbor is not a person who can hold the mirror up to say you're wrong I need you to do better I need you to show up for me then that person is a token and doesn't play a pivotal role in your life, meaning they don't shape how you think, they don't shape how you respond, they don't shape how you act, and they don't shape your aspiration to be a better person for humanity. So I want you to take inventory. 
I want you to think about your inner circle. I want you to think about if this moment is still a disconnect for you. And it's what I said three months ago. This isn't something to check off a list. This isn't something to pat yourself on the back for. This isn't a black square on your social media. This isn't a list of books that you've read. This is humanity. This is urgency. Because when there are two systems, we all lose. We all lose. And so if you haven't figured out what your place is in the fight for racial justice and liberation, then now's the time because things will continue to spiral downward until we all roll up our sleeves and be willing to do the work. And that means doing work when it's uncomfortable. That means not remaining silent because silence is the voice of the oppressor. So take inventory and act. We can't wait on you. Our children can't wait on you. The world can't wait on you. This is a matter of life or death. All right, everybody, that's it. Thank you for listening. As always, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at Relinda Speaks. I want to know what you're thinking. Hit that subscribe button. Become a patron on Patreon by visiting patreon.com backslash Relinda. Take care. Be well. I'll see you next time. Bye.